Jace, thank you so much. Um, for those of you who uh, haven't, aren't familiar with Kairos, our mission uh, is simply to encourage one another daily to follow in the way of Jesus. And so we've been focusing in worship uh, this, this year on what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to meet Jesus, what it means to learn from Jesus. Uh, and it, we're going to be focusing in the coming uh, weeks on meeting the risen Christ and real people who have an, an experience of the Spirit of Christ. So thank you, Cease, for sharing your story and your experience. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we reflect on the resurrection story together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So very early on in my pastorate, one of my seminary friends, uh, a colleague who had graduated and was um, uh, getting ready for Easter, and she had an adopted child who was four years old, and she emailed me on a Holy Saturday, and this is what it said. She was saying, I, I can't even get through to my daughter. How, how am I going to, like, this is, how am I going to proclaim the good news? She says, here's the conversation in the car with me and Elena yesterday, four years old. Mommy, will the Easter Bunny bring me purple jelly beans? Yes, Elena, I'm sure he will bring you jelly beans, Elena. But remember, Easter isn't about the bunny, it's about Jesus. But will they be purple? Yes, I'm sure there will be some purple belly, jelly beans in there, honey. But the important thing about Easter isn't the bunny. Easter is about how much Jesus loves you and me and the whole world. Mommy, how many jelly beans will the Easter Bunny bring me? I think he will probably bring you a lot of jelly beans, Elena. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Mommy? Yes, Elena. Will he bring me Tootsie Rolls, too? I remember Mary and I having a conversation and saying, you know what's so beautiful about being part of a faith community is that for a four-year-old, jelly beans and Easter egg hunts and all of that is enough. Because we, it, it, it's an association with the joy of being alive and being in a community and all of that is enough when you're four. But you see what Mary and I and other preachers are so concerned about is the fact that it's not enough very soon after being four. In fact, this Monday Thursday, we had a really sweet service here with children and families gathered around a table, and um, I told a story about a, a woman who is addressing the culture of hate in our country, and um, she runs a nonprofit, and, but she has a story from her own childhood that haunts her about being a bully. And afterwards, one of our very own precious little children came up to me and pulled on me and said, people at school are mean to my sister. You see, you don't have to be much older than four to find out that jelly beans and Easter bunnies are not enough. 
And isn't it true that we find that out over and over and over again? Maybe in high school, you're betrayed by a best friend, or your heart gets broken by somebody who you thought had your best intentions. Or maybe one day you look in the mirror and realize that you're the betrayer. You've been the heartbreaker. And there's nothing you can do to undo the damage. Jelly beans, chocolate bunnies, they aren't enough in a moment like that. They aren't enough when the call from the doctor comes and says, after all, it's not just a cold that won't go away. They're not enough when family conflict is so intense. And those primal wounds of longing for acceptance get reopened. They're not enough. When your own child grows and becomes so troubled, and one day you're looking in their eyes and you realize, I don't even know him anymore. And worse than that, you realize he doesn't want you to. It's not enough when you are spoon-feeding the parent who once fed you. At every phase of life, we need something more than jelly beans and Tootsie Rolls and candy-coated cliches. And as she said, her, her image of the church was just a place where you got a lot of that. Not something that really made a difference. But the Paschal greeting that we shared, and that is really representative of the heart of our faith, that God is loose in the world, reconciling the world to God's self, reconciling us to ourselves, to God, and one another. That is more than a chocolate bunny. It is something that meets us in those dark moments, just as Jesus met Mary when she came in the darkness to the tomb. It is more. And when we reduce the resurrection and the Christian faith, when we reduce this awe-inspiring, death-defying, life-affirming, mind-blowing truth to some kind of provable dogma, we are missing the point. When we think the gospel is, is a story we can, we can piece together like so many pieces of evidence for the defense, we are missing the point. We are doing what Mary was doing that day by the tomb when she came in darkness and needed something more. 
She thought it was the gardener, but it was Jesus. And all of a sudden, she grabs him. Because she wants to hold on to that which is giving her comfort in that moment. But Jesus says, don't hold me. Let me go. Don't hold me. And sometimes, that's what we're like. We want to hold and grasp. We want, we want to contain the Christian faith, the Christian story, into something that we can put in a box and tie a bow on, that we can explain fully. We want to reduce this great mystery to something we can wrap up with a bow. We want to hold it. We want to grasp it. We want to contain it. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Loosen our grip. Maybe, just like Jesus said to Mary, loosen your grip. Maybe what he is saying to the church today, to us, is loosen your grip on your culturally conditioned ideas of God and open yourself up to an encounter with the living Christ who cannot be contained. What would that be like? In our passage today, Jesus says, tell them, I'm going to your God and my God. If you read, read the Gospel of John this week. It's all full of imagery and symbolism. And, and earlier, Jesus had said right before he died, my prayer for you is that you're one. This essential unity. That's what the resurrection is about. Colossians puts it this way, in the living Christ, all things hold together. The resurrection is the sign that the light of God is infused throughout all creation. And maybe, just maybe, being a follower of Jesus looks less like being a lawyer for the defense and more like a line from Mary Oliver's poem, more like a bride married to amazement, a bridegroom taking the world in its arms. Maybe that's more like what it means to follow Jesus. Because when we reduce it just to something we have to give an intellectual assent to so that in the by and by we know we're okay, it becomes an escape hatch from this world that God so loves. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. Instead of becoming an invitation to be engaged even more in the world and the power that is loose in the world, the power of love, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Married to amazement, taking the world in our arms. Several years ago, I read this, this, I do a lot of weddings, and I began to think about what we do every Sunday in worship is a renewal of marriage vows. For those of us who seek to follow Jesus, it's like taking, it's like saying, I do, over and over and over again. 
Years ago, I, I saw this, uh, this great article about uh, something called quantum marriage. Anybody ever heard of it? It, it was, the article was kind of gimmicky, right? It's based on a scientific theory called quantum entanglement, which is really confusing and really amazing, but I can't explain it. Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. It's basically this idea that sometimes particles get so entangled that even when they're separated from each other, what one does all the way across, half, halfway across the world, still affects this one. So this guy, uh, Jonathan Keats, created a particle beam splitter in the Manhattan Chelsea district, district, and he invited people to come be quantumly married. It's easier than an x-ray, he said. They, the couple stands together in a window and the particle beam passes over them. Just a minute will do it. And they are joined quantumly. From that moment on, whatever one does will be affected by the other and, and vice versa. I love that image. And I imagine that when we gather every Resurrection Sunday, we are exposing ourselves to the particle light, the particle beam of God's undying love for the world, the cosmos. And we do that acknowledging that we are ultimately and essentially entangled with that God and with each other. What one does affects another. That's the gospel. That's what happens when we acknowledge that the resurrection light of Christ is infused in all of creation and we are entangled in it. What if believing in the resurrection is not about someone who seeks to cling to certainties, someone who makes a case for Jesus, but instead is about being someone committed to living in that light, to living into its meaning, the unity of all creation. What if it is not like being a lawyer for the defense, but really being a bride married to amazement? a bridegroom, and like Christ, taking the whole world in our arms with great love. Every Sunday, but especially this one, is an opportunity to say I do again, to say I do to being alive in that light, living in your entanglement with God's beautiful and broken creation, following Jesus in the way of love. And in worship, we have a time of offering. If you're a guest, there's, there's no obligation to give anything. 
But we do this in worship because it is an opportunity for us again and again to say, I do. One of my favorite parts of the wedding service is the, the ring exchanges and the bride and groom say to one another, with all that I am and with all that I have, I honor you. During this time of offering, I invite each and all of us again for the first time or to renew that promise again to Christ with all that I am and all that I have. I follow you. Amen.